Hello and welcome back to Multimodal. I'm your host, Baxty Future. We got a few topics I want to cover today. I want to talk about a camping trip I went on and sort of the high-level ideas I thought about, about the future for the next 10 years on that trip. I want to talk about uh, uh, GPTX DALI and our multimodal future. I dropped a preview video last week. Um, and uh, I just want to talk about it briefly, mention it to you, and share some of the feedback I've gotten so far. I want to talk about a really important GPT-3 podcast hosted by TED, you know, the TED Talks, uh, with Sam Altman, who's the CEO of OpenAI. I'm going to chat about the few key ideas from that podcast that I think are really important. And also, obviously, I encourage you to go listen to that podcast on your own. It's not my podcast. It's somebody else's podcast, but it's really important. Um, And I also want to talk about OpenAI releasing the paper for Codex, OpenAI Codex, which is essentially the AI engine, the upcoming one that powers GitHub Copilot. It's basically like GPT-3, but for code. (laughs) That's sort of the funny way I'm using to describe it. Um, And anyways, I I think this podcast, based on the topics I listed, a lot of it is kind of going to be more focused on the next decade or so. And not just the next decade, but also how I'm thinking about it, uh, how I'm thinking about my future and my survival and my role in the universe. And by the end of this, I, I hope I can share where I'm at and I hope you can start thinking about your role. I think we're due for a lot of change. A lot of systematic kinds of things are going to be changing. And so anyways, I, I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Let's get started. Okay, so starting with my camping trip. Um Last Monday, basically, I, I realized like I've, I've hit some limit personally, like I was feeling burnt out. Creatively, I was in a slump. All my work was very painful to do, like even though it's interesting work stuff that I want like, that I normally want to do. And I realized there's just all these questions bubbling about just the, the macro economy and my future and my role and stuff. And so... I realize whenever I get to this level, I realize I got to get out of the house. And it doesn't help that I've been quarantined for so long, right? The, the days just blur. Every day feels the same, you know? And so uh, I, I started looking for a camping site on Monday, and I was booked for last Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, up to Saturday morning. And I got really lucky. Believe me, uh, there it's really hard to find a camping site right now everywhere is booked solid the whole summer everybody's trying to get out of the house right um so luckily i found a place uh it was awesome and i you know what's funny with me is as soon as i'm on any kind of trip or vacation there's something about it that uh even as i'm driving my mind just starts racing and sort of in a very relaxed way processing all the things that are going on all the things that i'm thinking about i often get insights and answers on things that i've been wrestling with in my subconscious on the back burner for months the answers are quite obvious whenever i'm on any kind of trip and i don't know what it is like i think maybe there's something to even just physical distance like you can see your house and your your neighborhood get further away on the map (laughs) And you feel physically distanced from your own life. And so then you start processing your own life in a more objective way. Whereas while you're still living in, in your house, you you feel quite like it's your life and you can't look at it from another angle, basically. And at the same time, I think there's something about breaking your routine. There's something about seeing new sites, getting new stimulus, new input, which just triggers your brain and your subconscious to process things in a lot more smoother way. 
Uh, I definitely realized after this trip that I, I need to incorporate travel in any way, even if it's just a three day trip or something regularly, like ideally every quarter or something once a month, every quarter, I should get out of the house in a very formal way, stop working for a couple days and like sort of just uh, re-energize and reflect on, on where I'm at and where things are going. But anyways, so there was a few things I thought about and I did publish a lot of my thoughts on my newsletter. Uh, on the podcast, I think I'll only be talking about one of those things. Uh, but uh, you can check out the, f- the full post at bakztfuture.substack.com. It's a free email newsletter that I run that you can add your email. You can also read the post without adding your email where I, I sort of talk about everything all at once. But the main thing I wanted to talk about today, and by the way, this podcast is not an, ec- an economic, political, <laughs> like, like social, especially like a Canadian kind of podcast at all. This is supposed to be a a podcast about AI, GPT-3, and specifically multimodal models. But today I wanted to diverge a little bit because um, the way things are going, you simply cannot think about AI uh, in isolation. Like you, You do need to think about all of these things at once if you're trying to chart your course for the next 10 years. So the, the biggest thing I thought about was simply inflation. And obviously, I'm, I'm not the only one who's thinking about this topic. Many people are starting to raise the alarm in some way. Uh, there's been many triggers. So one trigger for me was when I was getting the stuff for my camping trip, and I bought a bottle of mayo, and I looked at the receipt, and it was $10. Just a bottle of mayo was $10. And for me, it was like, this is insane, right? $10 for a bottle of mayo. I couldn't have imagined that a few years back, right? Uh, mayonnaise <laughs> for $10. Anyways, another big data point is in the area I live in the greater Toronto area, the average price of a home this year went from like 800k to 1.3 million. So literally, we're talking about like a $500,000 increase in a few months this year alone in housing. Um, there's been some other stuff that's been going on as well. Like the, the rental market has gotten crazy as well because so many people can't afford to buy a home in Canada and there's bidding wars over rentals, surprisingly. And so, uh, look, the, the key idea is like, I, I just like housing affordability, uh, for, for most millennials, to be honest, like I'm in my late twenties is, is really out of the picture. I look, I, I do. Okay. I might be able to get by, but for most of my friends, uh, even with two incomes, I, I don't think they'll be able to afford a home, at least in the greater Toronto area, which is a real shame. It's a real shame. Um, one of the more extreme ideas that I, I had sort of formulated last week, I, I think I, I I was, you know, really rage tweeting like a week ago, and I tweeted something along the lines of like, um, Canada protects all minorities except young people, <laughs> right? Um, and in some sense, young people, millennials, we are the neglected minority and we are exploited in all of these different ways, whether it's student loans, unfair employment practices, a lack of rising wages. And of course, housing is the big one. Um, you know, uh, so one of the more radical ideas that I had, and I'm going to put it out there, you know, I'm, I'm not a politician, (laughs) you know, I'm not a history or arts or economic buff, but one of the more radical ideas I was formulating just before the camping trip was just a, um, an actual party for millennials. So it would, it would be like, almost like let's rethink all of government policy, 
from the perspective of millennial values. And uh, so one example would be, for example, in Canada, uh, there's only three telecommunications companies, right? And this oligopoly has existed for like 10, 20, 30 years now. And we pay the most in, in the world for basic phone plan with data service out of any, any other place. And we get the least amount of value. And so under a millennial party, I can foresee uh, some kind of political organization saying we got to break up these telecom companies uh, because they are extracting rent and really exploiting Canadian families. Everybody needs a phone bill nowadays. To a millennial, internet is like oxygen, right? Whereas the more traditional government leadership would not see it that way simply because they did not grow up with it in the same way millennials did. That's one example. A more minor example, phones have gotten really expensive, right? So uh, a phone is like $1,000 now, right? I bought a phone for $1,000. Like, and I'm single, male, I do well, I work in tech. I don't know what it's like having a family nowadays. Like, what do you do um, if you got to buy four phones <laughs> every two years because the phones don't even last longer than two years because they stop giving security updates. And on top of that, um, Samsung and Apple, after following Apple's lead, they don't even give you the adapter anymore. I remember paying $80, $80 to Samsung for an adapter uh, because part of the reason is I didn't want to buy a third party one off Amazon and burn my house down. So I wanted the official Samsung one. Uh, 80 bucks gone. Right. And that's just, that's just what, that, what, what is that? That's just a cash grab. <laughs> that's what it is. It's an easy cash grab. You know, Apple, Samsung, you guys, the phone business is great. You're not really, really pushing the medium anymore. It's just iterating from model to model. And so you need to find a way to make more money. <laughs> so you're doing this adapter nonsense. And by the way, some countries have made it like they're putting up legislation that you have to include the adapter. The expectation is if, if you sell a phone, an adapter has to come with it. Um, under something like a millennial party, um, you, you would you would not you, you would fight that kind of thing because millennials use their phones. Right. <laughs> and a bigger example for sure is is housing policy. A millennial party would basically work on home affordability because millennials simply can't afford a home. Um, and, you know, one of the more radical policy ideas I have, you know, it's really out there. But uh, imagine any time a home is sold, 30 uh, percent of the total sale price that is uh, a capital gain. So if you bought, so for example, some of these homes, they were bought for like 70K, 100K in the year 2000. And now they're selling for like 2.5 million, right? So it's a huge profit. It's a huge multiple. Um, so one of the more radical policies under a millennial party would be 30% of your profit goes towards a young person to help them afford to buy a home, right? And there's just all these different ways where um, a millennial party would, you know, it would maybe have some more turnover in these government institutions, which are uh, too legacy. It would encourage more technological adoption in society and focus on innovation, making us more competitive with China. It would be bigger on, on the environment and take those kinds of things seriously. And obviously, it would also lead to more social progress, many things like uh, racism, sexism, homophobia, uh, these things I think would, would be in the DNA of a millennial party, to be honest, right? Which is something the others can't really say. Um, and I think because millennials have gotten such a bad deal, like I don't, I don't know how the government can, with a straight face, act like millennials are doing all right, that Canada is still a great country, uh, 
when if you just do the basic math that it's it's basically impossible <laughs> to exist nowadays on on most incomes even with two incomes like your 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 car insurance is hundreds of dollars your home internet is about a hundred dollars now you got to buy a phone every year you got to buy the adapter your housing uh is is out of reach and the solutions that they're proposing are not working like i i read that um City of Toronto is going to do a 1% tax on any home that has been vacant for six months, 1% a year. And uh, let's, in order to create more rental supply, but let's be honest, right? A 1% tax is a write-off if your condo or home in Toronto is going up 50000 a year anyways. It's a write-off. At the same time, that 1% is going to fund the city, <laughs> right? It's not like these revenues collected are actually coming back to the young people. It's to support the same system that isn't helping anybody who's young, right? Um, so like, I, I guess my point is like, could we rethink government? And I think a millennial party would be very focused on affordability. Like it would address all these different issues. Milk is too expensive. The millennial party is going to make milk affordable. Millennial party is going to make home internet affordable, telecommunications affordable. Uh, the millennial party is going to think about the environment. All these big kinds of problems a millennial party would solve anyways. Uh, a millennial party would have a greater focus on cybersecurity and cyber infrastructure. Um, it would actually inherently be more uh, innovative and be far ahead than the government we have now. Um, and so, look, I'm, I don't want to make a full pitch <laughs> about it. I'm considering making a video. Um because I, one thing I'm kind of ashamed of is, you know, yes, the millennials, including myself, have got a bad deal in society compared to every other generation. But one thing I'm ashamed of is what have we done about it, right? This is our society too. Uh, and there's nothing stopping millennials from running from office, forming their own party. There's nothing stopping us from creating our own policies, right? And also, I, I do think there is something about public policy in Canada, which has become entirely skewed towards baby boomers. Everything that Canada is doing is benefiting one age group. And at, at, at what point are we going to ask ourselves, this has to stop? At what point are we going to ask ourselves, millennials, like we're almost 30 years old. At what point are we going to be in charge and set our own policies? How long are we going to put up with, with this kind of uh, shameful, shameful exploitation? Um, and it also requires rethinking social security. It re re requires rethinking healthcare. And the biggest thing as well that, that I think the, is the potential of the millennial party is I think there's something about approaching affordability. If you, if, if your goal is to make life more affordable for the average Canadian, it forces you to address a lot of the back backroom deals and corruption and uh, systematic biases, all the, all the current status quo that is held up in all of these kinds of sketchy, immoral, corrupt ways. It forces you to address those, right? Like for example, uh, in Canada, we found out all the bread companies, literally the companies that sell bread were all involved in a price fixing scheme, right? So, Bread is such an essential consumer good. And these bread companies got together and together increased the price every year. And our biggest grocery chain was involved with it, Loblaws. And basically what happened was Loblaws basically snitched on everybody else in exchange for not getting punished. And all they offered in return to Canadians after stealing probably hundreds of dollars per to the average family was a $50 gift card, <laughs> right? And so... <clears throat> I suspect this kinds of corruption between government and 
to be honest, all these sort of baby boomer, uh, you know, business owners, in addition to the institutions, including, including things like the home builders, um, they're all set up in very probably like really suspect ways. And so approaching housing affordability, approaching affordability from the perspective that millennials cannot even afford to be here anymore, will force will force a society to address all the corruption that it's dealing with. Co- the construction industry as well, all the construction infrastructure, these are industries that we know uh, are, are heavily involved with laundering, with uh, you know high level organized crime. This is no coincidence, right? And something like a millennial party uh, by attacking affordability may actually also address the issues with corruption as well. And it would force turnover uh, from all like the political favoring and lobby- lobbying that's going on, at least in Canadian society. And and to be clear, Canada has good lobbying laws, like it's a maximum of 2,500. But if you looked at our policies, um, like they are so very blatant. You, you are a millennial, you are on your own. Right. And we don't do that for any other group in society. Right. We, we simply don't like, I, so for example, like I'm an immigrant, I'm a South Asian immigrant. The Canadian government would never say South Asians, you're on your own, <laughs> but they say that openly for young people. Um, and at the same time, there's no such thing as social security for young people. I, I think it's such a radical idea, but even if I don't get some kind of social security, I would love to know if a millennial party created, let's create a society where a young person can be successful. How long are we going to continue perpetuating a society where even as somebody who's 60, 70, anybody who's a baby boomer won't be inconvenienced at all? How often are we going to continue perpetuating this society? I want to see a society where I'm 60 and I know somebody coming out of school who's 20 will be, will, will be, will be uh, steady will have, you know, lots of opportunity uh, and can be successful and thrive no matter their background, no matter uh, their beliefs, their gender, sexual orientation, any of that stuff. And I, I just think a millennial party could do that. And in addition, like millennial party could also simultaneously address all the systematic racism and sexism in the institutions themselves. Um, but anyway, so while I was on the trip, I, I mean, so before the trip, I was contemplating the millennial party stuff which is a really radical idea i may make a video on it please let me know in the comments what what you guys think um but i i just the main point that i got is uh at at some point i'm gonna need to buy a home and at some point i will also need to participate in real estate in some way whether it's buying a home and then buying an investment property uh whether it's uh renting out part of the home that I buy because I'm still single and living on my own. That's roughly sort of the strategies I'm thinking of in, in addition to increasing how much I make every year. Um, uh, the, the other big point that I came across is I just, I don't think government is going to change. I think whether it's housing, the price of mayonnaise, the phone bill, the price of all of these things will continue. I can't see the government changing or doing anything about it, particularly if you're a millennial. Um, we are all we are on our own. We are left to fend for ourselves, <laughs> and I think part of thinking about the future and AI is I think accepting that. I don't see things getting better. I see these institutions bloating even more, spending more money, giving less value to the people, um, and you know there there is the possibility of very very intense socialist communist kinds of tax taxation as well in the future. Um, 
But again, will it actually benefit people, especially millennials and people who need the support? I, I doubt it. Um, at the same time, on the camping trip, I also thought about GitHub Copilot. So I'm a programmer for a living, right? Um, it does, does that represent the end of programming? <laughs> and if so, what will I be doing 10 years from now? Right? Uh, what will I be doing five years from now? Because, you know, I, I personally believe that, um, uh, you know, right now, GitHub Copilot performs okay, right? It gets a certain benchmark. By next year, it may be like 70, 80% really good, right? So it might jump from 5%, 30% to like 80, right? And in which case, how does that affect me and, and the job market? Um, and, and so for that, uh, uh, besides being more involved with AI, the other answers I came up with is perhaps I need to diversify, right? Maybe I need to get into design and work on uh, physical products. Um, maybe I need to get more into teaching. Like, like I think I need to diversify and obviously maybe starting a startup or being a business owner might be a better path for me. Um, and uh, I guess the last topic I was thinking about, obviously, so that, look, I I don't want to get dinged on, on YouTube. Uh, apparently, I can't even say the word, but there's a crisis going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's been going on for like a year or two years. And, um, I just, I'm wondering, will life go back to normal completely? When will it go back to normal? What do these booster shots mean? Um, and what kind of variants are forming right now? Because there are many parts of the world that do not have access to the vaccine. And so what variants are forming? How long will this go on for? And what are the effects of that, right? Um, and then lastly, I, I did think about like a concept video for basically proposing what life would be like after baby boomers. Uh, like it might be like a mini documentary speculating because I, I just think it's such an interesting topic. I don't even think we've ever questioned what the world would look like with people my age in charge. <laughs> like, I don't think we've ever even like, we've never even conceptualized it. Um, and like, so the millennial party concept is one thing, but just like, what will life be like? Um, how, how will things change? And obviously people my age think a certain way, people younger than me think even different, right? So like, like, what is it going to be like when this, you know, gerontocracy, this dominating ruling class, like actually finally retires? <laughs> like, what does it mean for taxation? What does it mean for city and urban design? What does it mean for government leadership? What does it mean for foreign policy, right? Eventually, you know, uh, I've, I've heard, you know, Russia's uh, president, he, he wants to retire soon too, right? <laughs> so uh, there's so many geopolitical uh, things that we can't even foresee now uh, in this case, but it's still really interesting to speculate where it could go. And obviously, none of this is within the AI scope, <laughs> but uh, like, so holistically, I, I'd say holistically from the camping trip, what was my insights? The main insight is I want to be more self-sufficient. Um, if if the cost of things like housing and groceries will increase, um, I'm interested in ways where I can maybe have solar panels, where I can reuse my water, where I can grow my own vegetables even. Um if I had more money, I would have a farm and maybe even consider, uh, you know, having my own cattle and everything else to reduce those costs, right? 
Uh, if the cost of everything goes up, I will try to reduce the categories of things where I um, am on the hook <laughs> and perhaps become more financially sustainable that way. Anyway, so that's the end of the uh, political economic uh, discussion. Um, it was a good camping trip. A lot of the things I thought about were, were pretty, pretty heavy. But again, um, I think it is important to think through these things and sort of plan for your future. I look forward to reading in the comments. How are you guys thinking about your future? How are you going to chart the next 10 years ahead of you? It's 2021. Where will you be 2030, 2031? Uh, how will you be sustaining yourself? Uh, so I want to talk about very quickly, uh, if you missed it last week, I dropped a preview video for GPTX DALI and her multimodal future. The project is coming along nicely, so I thought I'd drop a preview video just to get it out there, just to get some feedback going. So far, the feedback that I got is that it's really good. Uh, besides the fact, I, I think I, I do agree, maybe I was talking a little too fast. Uh, in the video and there were points that I could tell just based on the YouTube data where interest dropped off. Uh, it went well. Um, and I'm looking forward to dropping more videos next month. The series looks good. I'm really excited about the series. Just to give context, that video is about composition and phrasing, uh, which is just talking about in, in the world of multimodal AI, if computers can do stuff for you, if AI can make it for you, like you just describe, you want a lamp, if it can just make the lamp for you, um, what, what's, what's, what's something you can do now? Like what's your new role? And I sort of argue in that video composition and phrasing that starts to matter a lot more and composition and phrasing is something pretty out of reach for most creatives right now. Many creatives are just doing the work themselves. So they don't really get a point, get a point where they can actually sit back and look at the big picture and how it's flowing and everything else overall. So anyways, uh, yeah, check out the video. I'm still open to feedback. You can put it in the comments. You can email me. Let me know what you think. Was it entertaining? How was it visually? Was it interesting? Was it too, did it have too much information? How does it compare to other videos that I've made in the past? Maybe you like those better. Um, I'm really open because the series can still be changed right now. I'm not that far along that I can't go back in any way. So anyways, that's what's up. I also really recommend you check out uh, a podcast with uh, Ted and Sam Altman, who's the CEO of OpenAI. It is, in my opinion, the most important podcast you need to listen to this year, especially if you're into GPT-3 or multimodal AI, you must listen to it. I'm going to include a link in the description or the show notes. Um, I'll be talking about providing a cliff notes of some of the main things that I think are really valuable that came out of that discussion. Sam talked about things that I've never heard OpenAI talk about publicly in that interview. So one of those things was he finally shed some light on the deal with Microsoft. So if you don't know, uh, Microsoft gave OpenAI $1 billion to fund them. And the assumption is a lot of that money went towards Azure, which is Microsoft's uh, cloud services anyway. So OpenAI could use it how they wanted. But the assumption was a lot of that would go back into Azure anyways. And all of this was known. But one of the key things about the deal that Sam mentioned in the call is there's actually like a clause in their legal contract and agreement that if OpenAI creates an AI which is bad for humanity in any way, that Microsoft will just walk away from the deal and lose the money. 
And surprisingly, he was saying Microsoft was was down for that. Like they wanted a deal where they only want ethical AI. They only want a good AI for humanity. And they're willing to lose their money uh, in the event that it's, it's, it's shifts away from that mission that OpenAI has. And so I wanted to share that just because I think that's such an interesting deal. I think it's such an interesting arrangement. And I commend both parties for putting it in the contract. I think that's amazing. Uh, I was wondering why did OpenAI go with Microsoft over AWS or Google Cloud or even just raising money from VCs. I, I, I imagine maybe they could have got the money together for a billion plus. Um, but if you can find a partner like that, that's amazing. And just knowing that, I think there there is an increasing level of paranoia around OpenAI in, in, in the community. And I think that paranoia will only grow over time as the capabilities of GPT-3 and DALI and Codex improve over the years. And so just like them shedding light on the deal, I think is a good strategic move just to maybe decrease some of that uh, attention and heat. Like, I'll be honest, like a lot of the GPT-3 criticism is, oh, it's owned by Microsoft anyways. I, I think I read a comment saying like, doesn't Microsoft own all of GPT-3? <laughs> like there's so much uh, fear, uncertainty and doubt because Microsoft is involved in any capacity. And so I just, I thought that it was really cool that Sam shared that element because it helps reduce that sort of general paranoia at a societal level uh, and, and, and sort of involves more people into the arrangement as AI becomes more and more uh, impressive. Um, the other thing that Sam basically said is um, he's really bullish on AGI happening soon. I mean, this is my... Sorry, this is my, he didn't say that, but this is sort of what I took away is he can see AGI coming soon in a way because uh, we can now give data. So with GPT-3, it showed that you can give data to a model and, you know, the more parameters you do, the more things it can do, right? The more parameters that you scale up that model, the more things it can do. But Sam is really excited because they're putting out, they put out research around how they can also, using reinforcement learning with a small amount of data, which shares, which shares human judgment, they can train a model further and fine tune it. And that gives them a lot of hope for the future in terms of creating ethical, safe AI. But also, if you think about that combination, A, we can train AI and it can do more stuff as we scale it up and we can reinforce it and, you know, make it fall within some line of behavior that we prefer. In his view, like, I guess he was kind of saying that that is kind of AGI, right? Like, I think that's indirectly what he was saying. And to some extent, I agree. If you can do both of those things, a lot of the things we've been dreaming for with AI that's mostly it, right? Now, obviously, there's people in AI who want consciousness, who want AIs to be just like us in every single way. There's people who want super intelligence, which is like an AI computer that is smarter than all of humanity, right? Um, I don't know. If, I, I don't think Sam is quite saying that. But if, if you're talking like a personal assistant, if you're talking like you can just talk to your phone and it will book a flight for you and ask you where you want to go and recommend places, yes. Um, perhaps it can be applied to robotics. Maybe you want a little help around the house, perhaps with training data and reinforcement, you can have a AI robot that, you know, paints walls perfectly and is trained on millions of homes. Who's to say, right? These are things we couldn't have dreamt about five years ago, even that may actually be feasible now. And so, 
Uh, that's a really, really uh, interesting insight. Another insight he shared is as the models get smarter, they get better at sorting out good data from bad data. And he's even excited for the models to get to a point that they call active learning, uh, which is basically when the models themselves ask for data that they need. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Uh, so it's more like, oh, I need, I need more data on this period in history. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't need more of that kind of data. Um, and, you know, imagine you can communicate with an AI and uh, sort of have a feedback loop and, and create the best model based on it being able, even able to tell you what it needs uh, through active learning. Uh, he's excited for scaling the models, tossing in some reasoning and combining it with this reinforcement learning to align it to human values. Um, and, you know, he went as far as saying, and I was shocked he said this, but I, you know, I, I agree. And I've been thinking along the same lines. He said, if the models become a thousand times more powerful and 1 million times more reliable, right? Basically, like if GPT-3 was scaled up to GPT-4 and it was more reliable a million times more. So what that means is, for example, like GPT-3, it gives you different answers each time. At, at any point, it might go off on a rant about something. It may say something inappropriate. Uh, sometimes you can give it many examples to basically tell it, give me this exact kind of answer each time and it doesn't get it. So he's saying if it also can become more reliable and more safe, especially even in a commercial setting, you can use it without worrying. Uh, it might uh, make bad decisions or publicly embarrass your company. He can see a lot of economic ac activity in the world relying on it, which is a huge thing to say, right? Like to some extent, he's even saying the economic GDP of, of, of the world could benefit from something like GPT-4. Um, and so I just, I wanted to share, uh, these insights with you because he's the CEO of OpenAI. Okay. He's got access to the smartest people. He's got money. He's well connected in Silicon Valley. And if these are the things he's saying openly, look, I'm, listen, I'm a big supporter of OpenAI. Maybe I'm biased, but I, I, you know, I, I tend to agree with him. <laughs> you know, if that's what he's saying and he's got skin in the game in such a big way, um, I, I tend to err on the side of probably believing him. And look, I mean, he's biased. He's got a vested interest. But I also think, too, they, they, they come from a background of, of being a research lab. And so they, they come from a more skeptical culture in the first place. And if these are the things they're saying with a background and a DNA as a research company, um, I, I think it says a lot about where we're going, right? Uh, clearly, we're heading to a world uh, where AI will be able to do more and these models will only get better. And the timelines that I'm even thinking of are not even 10, to be honest, if I'm being honest, I think it's more like four. Um, and so keeping these things in mind, I encourage you to listen to the podcast yourself. Like I mentioned earlier, I think it's the most important podcast you need to listen to this year. I have listened to it maybe five times already. Um, listen to it. And I encourage you to think about what does this mean for your career? What does this mean for your family? Where will you be four years, five years, 10 years from now? How will you sustain yourself? I encourage you, just like I talked about, I went on a camping trip. I encourage you to go on a camping trip. Maybe listen to this podcast on, on the drive there. Um, formulate a strategy. And, you know, I, I think the only constant is change. I think this stuff is a whole world of change. Like it is beyond any other kinds of change, right? Like this isn't Windows 10 to Windows 11, 
right? Like this is pretty, pretty formidable, um, you know, gravity earth shaking level stuff. And so anyways, uh, I also want to just briefly chat about the codex paper. I'm going to link it in the description below, but opening, I also released the paper for codex, how they created it. They did do some reinforcement and fine tuning it. Uh, one interesting thing I found in the paper is they actually benchmarked OpenAI Codex against GPT-J. Um, as you probably know, GPT-J was a product released maybe a few weeks ago by Eleuther AI, and it's open source. And it was just cool to see OpenAI even uh, leveraging what's out there to compare for their own performance how they're doing. And what's even more interesting, so from the benchmarks I saw in the paper, GPT-3 got like a 0% like uh score like it was something like that gptj got like a good one like i you know what let me pull it up but i believe it was like maybe like give me a second yeah sorry about that so i have the number here gptj six billion parameters uh 27.74 percent score uh k equals 100 and codex which is the engine that powers github copilot that, that this paper's about uh, it got a score of 72%. And obviously, GPTJ was trained on a lot of like, a code like in their data set, but it was not explicitly meant to be uh, a coding transformer model, whereas Codex is. So Codex got 72%, GPTJ got uh, 27%, and I, I don't even think GPT-3 even made it on this list. Like I, I think it was like zero or something like that. Uh, which is also interesting because I thought GPT-3 could write code like at a decent level. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I also want to talk about just quickly. I'll mention Codex. They released the parameter count at its best. It's 12 billion parameters. That's it. Um, which is really, really crazy to think about, right? So like GPT-3 is 175 billion parameters, right? And that parameter count, in my opinion, is why GPT-3 is so much better than GPT-2 which I believe is 3 billion parameters, something like that. But GPT-3 is like 175, like it's many times more. So I'm trying to imagine OpenAI Codex go from 12 billion to 175 billion parameters. I'm trying to imagine all the crazy things it could do. Um, like this score is 72% on these specific kinds of programming problems. That's cool. It might get 99% at 175 billion parameters, but what else could it do? Right. Like in the last podcast, I speculated like, you know, I don't think it's going to be as good when it comes to web design specifically because it's like it's never even seen a browser. Like it's only been trained on code data. It's never probably even seen an image before. But something like OpenAI Codex at 175 billion parameters, maybe it could theorize the browser, uh, even though it, it's only seen the code. Maybe it could theorize that, you know, theoretically, this is what the website would look like. <laughs> just based on this code without having ever, ever even seen a browser. I mean, look, that's really stretching it, but you know, what other things could it be capable of? How bet, how much better would those code suggestions be? And if you're a programmer like me, what does that mean for your living, right? What are the economic effects to you? Uh, how will this affect your ability to negotiate a job, to get a job? Um, and at, at maybe at an optimistic level, what kinds of things will you be building knowing 
you can save several, several keystrokes, maybe entire files or modules could be written by AI. So what kinds of startups will you be starting? What kind of side projects? What kind of services will you offer? How will you compete if other people can spin up duplicates using these kinds of models against you? How will you compete as a startup or a business? Uh, there's all these implications there. Um, and so anyways, in a nutshell, <laughs> This podcast has been all over the place. It's been really long. You know, thank you for sticking with me. Uh, the The main point is camping trip. Um, every, like, I think the price of stuff is going to go up. Be more self-sufficient. Uh, check out my preview video. Uh, let me know what you think on GPTX Dolly and our multimodal future. That series, I'm really excited about it. I hope all of you check it out, the preview and the series when it drops. Uh, I encourage you to listen to that podcast as well with Sam Altman and Ted. TED Talks. I'm sorry, I don't remember the host, but he like he he was from the TED Talks kind of group. Um, very important ideas around uh, where AI is going. A lot of conviction, uh, which I think says a lot, right? Like I I wonder how much we're out of this territory of like AI. AI is just ten years away. You know they've been saying that forever now, right? I think now it may actually be four years away. Like AGI. Like uh, that's my opinion. Obviously, I'll probably get roasted in the comments for saying that, but like, there's a lot of conviction coming out of that podcast. I encourage you to think about how you're formulating and thinking about your future as a result. And OpenAI Codex, really interesting paper. I might drop a video explaining it and going through it. We'll see. But I encourage you, if you're also interested in the code dimension and planning for your livelihood as a programmer, project manager, scrum master, whatever, uh, to also read the paper. And it's just, it's really interesting. Um... And there was a, a, a you know a lot of contributors from OpenAI who participated in it. Great work on the paper. I'm gonna probably reread it later tonight. So, anyways, uh, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast Multimodal by Baxter Future. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash/BaxterFuture, and check out my newsletter, BaxterFuture.substack.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good night, day, evening, wherever you are, whatever you're up to. I hope it's awesome. Thank you so much. Bye.